Welcome to the Tabletop Sportcast, your home for all things tabletop sports. I'm James Cast, and this is episode 67. Today, we're going to do a retrospective on the 1961 Continental League project that didn't quite make it to the finish line. Connect with the podcast on Facebook or by email. If you want to support the podcast, head over to patreon.com backslash tabletopsportcast. Of course, the best way to support the podcast is to tell your friends about the podcast and subscribe, follow, or give us a five-star rating. Before we get into today's main topic, let's take a look back at the week that was on the tabletop. So this past week on the tabletop, I hit a milestone event uh, since I've started recording gaming sessions back on September 1st of 2020. This past week saw me cross the 1,000th gaming session on my gaming log. And it's pretty remarkable, actually. Uh, 1,000 gaming sessions in 627 days is really what it worked out to. So let's take a look back at the last few. Uh, this past week, I, I was able to complete 14 gaming sessions. And ended up playing uh, one, two, three, four, five different games with those 14 sessions. Starting with the 1890s Fight Club, I completed night three of my little four-stop tour. Uh, Mordecai Alexander ended up getting a win against John R. Johnson, and that puts both fighters now at 5-1 and one atop the standings as we head into the final matchups. For History Maker Baseball, I continued the Tom Seaver 1985 Mets What If project. Uh, I ended up getting a total of four starts in this past week. He had... Uh, the, he took losses against the Phillies and the Padres and also took a no decision. Uh, let's see, what was the no decision? Yeah, took a no decision against Montreal in start number 27. That game ended up going to extra innings. And then finally got another victory against San Francisco. Uh, one of his better efforts for the year for Seaver. Uh, New York just came away in start number 29 with a 5-2 win. And Seaver went seven shutout innings and got pulled for a relief pitcher in the eighth inning. So on the year now, he stands at 13-7. and seven, And his ERA is dropped down to 288. I also was able to complete the 1990 NFL replay with Fast Drive Football. Uh, this past week saw me complete the divisional championship or the divisional games and then the conference championships and finally the Super Bowl. Now, uh, I was able to get three of the final four teams from the actual 1990 playoffs with Buffalo, San Francisco, and the New York Giants all making it to the Final Four. 
Uh, the Raiders did not even qualify for the playoffs, so they would have been that fourth team. Instead, it would turned out to be the Miami Dolphins. Buffalo beat Miami in the conference championship, and San Francisco edged out the Giants. So that Giants game ended up being a flip. So I didn't actually get the actual Super Bowl. Um, I got Buffalo against San Francisco. And that game ended with a 13-7 to win for San Francisco in overtime in the Super Bowl. So Buffalo comes up short again. And that would have given San Fran the three-peat that they had been looking for at that point. Let's see. Grid zone. I uh, got weak four of my grid zone season complete. So that crosses the halfway point now for that first ever season of grid zone. Uh, for the slate of games, uh, let's see, Los Angeles, Orlando, Milwaukee, and Denver all came away with wins. And Los Angeles is the only three and one team now in the league. And I got a little bit more work done in my hoops madness. Got two more games complete. Took a little break from that, but uh, with Highlight Maker Hoops, the Hoops Madness Tournament, still playing the 73-74 playoffs. We had New York beat Detroit 87-78, and then a really tight game, uh, surprisingly tight game between Milwaukee and New York. Milwaukee was up big, and then Jabbar Abdul-Jabbar got pulled in the second half of that game. And New York staged a huge comeback. I ended up having to go to the final card for the final minute. And Milwaukee was able to deny New York from scoring. They, New York actually, it was, a, it was the um, hand movement. And New York actually got the basket, but it was the defender was able to make the play instead. So the game ends as a 118-117 win for the Milwaukee Bucks as they continue on in the 73-74 bracket. And that was it. That was the recap for the past week. Um, for the record, number the 1,000th gaming session was game three of the grid zone week, Birmingham at Milwaukee, and so Milwaukee with a 45-18 win over Birmingham. And that's a recap on the week. Uh, I also this week did my June planning, so I've gotten my schedule together for the month of June. And it's interesting because, uh, and I'll probably cover this in an in episode soon, but June is going to finally see the last of my 2021 projects uh, come across the finish line. Uh, these were the projects that primarily had started in 2021 and were meant to carry over into 2022. Originally, I was going to have one that carried into July. That was the um, WWF Superstars season I was doing with face to the mat wrestling but as uh, you may remember i had an episode which is still the number one listened to episode on the podcast uh my struggles with fttm and at that point i decided it was just time to kind of cut that season short and start like up a new one i haven't really started up the new one necessarily but i'm planning to get that going in june uh well, we'll i'll probably get a no Face to the mat season going with the with the seventies WAF set, uh, wrestling of America Federation uh, set. So we'll be starting that up in June, and taking some of the new formats that I talked about in that episode about keeping them a little shorter, a little simpler, so that I can get them across the finish line a little easier. 
All right, let's get on to today's main topic. So we're going to do I'm going to do a retrospective on the recently um, canceled project for the 1961 Continental League. And this was one of the it's really the first co-op project that we've done that I've been trying to organize that hasn't really been successful. And we're going to try to look at some of the reasons why, but also as in any retrospective, try to also highlight some of the things that went well in the project as well. Let's start, though, by talking a little bit about what the goals were for this. And one of the things that I've seen in the past, and, and baseball, uh, whatever game it might be, baseball is one of those sports that I think we tend to get drawn to wanting to do leagues with others. It's always daunting to take on a baseball project on your tabletop, just trying to go through an entire season for baseball requires just so many games to be played. A baseball season on its own is twice the length of any other season. I mean, you're going to play 162 games for most teams. If you compare it to the next closest rivals, which would be you know, basketball and hockey, those only play about 80 games. So this is twice as long as those and much longer, obviously, than any football season. Uh, I can almost play an entire football league schedule with just a little bit more games than one team has to play for baseball. So baseball projects in themselves are daunting. I think as a, requ as, as a result of that, most folks, when they try to organize a baseball project, want to shoot for something that's a little bit smaller in size. But then you run into the issue of all it takes is that one weak link, right? As if you have something like if I was to use like the Baseball America set for play games or, you know, some other small set of cards you you do want to keep it down to the certain certain number of teams maybe eight to 12 teams but generally that means getting eight to 12 owners to sign on board and be able to carry it through from start to finish now what are the scenarios you're going to play um, i've seen some things that have worked well in the past which is uh you know, having the owners play their home games. And then usually that means that another owner has to set their team up and send some playing rules. Like, here's how I want my team managed. Here's the lineups you're going to use. Here's the decision situations that I need you to run through. And right out of the gate, that feels like a lot of work. Then there's the whole idea of like, how do you manage things like injuries and rest? And it, you know, becomes all of a sudden like pitcher rest can be, become one of those things that just all of a sudden becomes a much, much more admin, more of an admin function that I think most people want to take on as well. So most baseball projects tend to get very complicated very quickly. And the other piece of it is the stat keeping. Uh, I think. Most of us, when we put together baseball projects, are thinking about, okay, how can we tabulate all the stats? 
So now you've got to get your eight to 12 owners all to agree on uh, a similar stat program, which is hard to do because not everybody wants to sign on for the same thing. And if some are going to do it by hand and score by hand, then you've got to have one or two folks that are willing to take the hand scored games and enter them into whatever database or, um, you know, stat compiler that you're going to be using. And I've done that for other leagues myself. And what you typically run into is folks who don't score games accurately. Um, And uh, I've been in leagues before where I got the handwritten box scores or score sheets from others and I'm going through and I'm like, okay, well, here's another inning with like four outs recorded. So what do we do here? Cause my stack program is not going to allow me to record four outs. Like how do I recreate this score accurately knowing that errors were made in scoring the game in the first place. So those things become a little bit more tricky for you to have to work through. So as we set out in this 1961 Continental League, and as part of this effort of what I've been trying to do with the co-op efforts, I wanted to try some new approaches to managing a baseball season. So some of the goals of the project right out of the gate were, one, let's go with a shorter season. Uh, we decided to go for an 82-game season. There's an It's an eight-team league that you're playing with, so we figured we'd shoot for right around 80 games or so. And all told, that gave, gave us we were trying to keep them in about three-game series because we wanted to keep the batches nice and small. Um, didn't want to give everybody like four or five game series to play because, again, it's, it's the longer you make, the bigger you make the batch, the slower the progress is going to be. So we went for three-game series because single games just don't work for baseball as well. You need at least a three-game series for it to work. That gave us about 100. When I was all said and done, I needed it was going to work out to 112 series that we would need to get played. Seemed like a pretty high number, but at the same time, I was hoping that we had enough folks involved. And initially, we did. We had like 13 people who signed on. Uh, so I figured, all right, well, that's less than 10 series each. Let's see how this goes. And, you know, our original goals were to shoot for three months, but I knew right out of the gate, like, that was a soft target at best. It wasn't, we were going to take longer than three months to be able to get the entire project played out. But as it is with most of these projects, the energy is going to be early on. And the longer it goes, the less likely you have to actually get to the finish line. So we had the schedule set up. The next piece was to try to figure out the lineups and everything. And this was a little easier because most of the teams had just the right amount of starters. And we kept a lot of the rest rules pretty simple, like confine like injuries and rest to the series that's being played. And instead of assigning each team one owner, what we were going to do is just assign series for folks to play. So you would like we've done with a lot of our other co-op projects, you wouldn't be in charge of one particular team. You would just be in charge of a particular series at that particular point in time. So your goal was to play the three-game series, and you managed both teams. So there was no need to try to submit lineups and 
base running decisions and here's what the substitutions you should make and here's how you manage the bullpen. Like none of that stuff had to get pulled in. We were able to keep all of that admin function stuff limited to the single series. When that series was over, rest requirements, you know, we didn't have to keep track of streaks. We weren't going to keep track of game day uh, situations, the TFNs using, because we were playing obviously history maker baseball for this. So we stayed away from all of that stuff. And that reduced a lot of the overhead for administrative work. As far as stat keeping went, we also wanted to, I, you know, I had decided I wanted to try something different. And it was something that had been discussed in some conversations about how to run like a baseball season. And just how much stats do you really need to track? If you look at most of your teams and players ahead of time, you pretty much know who the top players are going to be. You know, even if I'm replaying a historical season and uh, I was and, and I'm having a conversation with a group of uh, friends in the community and we were talking about, for instance, like, you know, I think one of those like, uh, unicorn seasons that everybody wants to shoot for, right? The 1994 season that got ended early by the strike. Go back to that season and think really about the top performances and like what would you really want to have to track? There was a great home run race going on, and I'd want to track the three or four guys who were in that home run race. You know, Tony Gwynn was chasing 400, and I'd probably want to see like how he was going to finish the season. There was probably a couple of starting pitchers that had really monster seasons that year, too, that would be interested to see how that played out. But, you know, if I look at the entire rosters of all those teams, most of the players, I don't really care what their stats were. So what we did for the 1961 Continental League is I went basically through each roster and said, OK, who is the top hitter? And who is the top pitcher for each team? And if I really was going to have an MVP race and like a Cy Young race, it was going to come down to those top few people. And there was a couple teams where maybe there was one or two hitters that looked pretty good, but I really just tried to settle in on like, who's the main guy here? Uh, and because of the way that this league was set up, a lot of those players were named players too. Um, so we settled in on... Let's track one hitter for each team and one pitcher for each team. And because we were playing three-game series with a four-man rotation, there were some series where you didn't even have to track any of the pitchers. The only thing you had to track were the hitters, and you only had to track the one hitter. So regardless of how you decided to score the game, the only thing you had to do is send me results of here's the totals for the one batter for each team, and maybe if those two starters – because the number one starters were always going to face each other. If those two, if you had the A pitchers going, then send me the results of what they did in their game too. And that was it. So we had some simple goals in terms of some of the stack keeping. So in retrospect, how did it go? Well, I think it played out really well, first and foremost, with the idea of only tracking a few players. Uh, we had some really interesting races developing with the pitchers and the hitters, and even within just tracking those like top hitters and top pitchers for each team. Even there, 
with the number one player on each team that was clearly developing the haves and the have nots. I would say the race was really down to like three or four hitters and two or three pitchers. And we only got through about a third of the season. But even there, it was already starting to establish as what I wouldn't even have had to have tracked all of them. In fact, looking back, it was probably a stretch for some of those teams to say, hey, it's worth tracking this guy because for some of the teams, even their top hitter wasn't that great. And even their top pitcher wasn't that great. So I could have probably known that those were the guys who were going to drop off a little bit. But overall, I think that approach really worked. And then just tracking the wins and losses, keeping track of the standings was not that difficult either. And we had people bouncing all around the place. Um, When it was all said and done, I mean, honestly, we didn't even really complete that many series by the time it was all said and done. Uh, Just taking a look at the schedule now. We actually fully completed out of uh, 28 series that were going to, or like series weeks, as I called it, uh, where you had all four series that were being played that week by the you know total of eight teams. We only completed four of them, despite getting through a third of the season. And that's because people were scattered all around the place. Uh, by the time we were done and we played about a third of the season, we got through 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 different series got touched out of the 27. So we touched about two-thirds of the series, but some of those only had one of the four series even played. Full series, where we played all four series for that series week, four of them, four out of 28. So very few of those got played to completion. We also were able to, like I said, get through about a third of the season. So overall, teams made it to about 27 to 30 games played. I think the most anybody played was 36 games was the most that any one team played. And the smallest amount of games that any one team played was 21. So because we were bouncing all around the place and not really keeping things equal, uh, we finished anywhere between 21 and 36 games for each team. But most centered right around that 27 to 30 range. So it was mostly even. um, And it was a fairly competitive league except for one team. Uh, We had one team, Toronto, that was really bad. and. They finished with a record of 10 and 26. They are the team that played the most games. So they were clearly going to be one of the teams that was going to struggle all the way through. Uh, They didn't have a great pitcher. Uh, Their top pitcher ended up pitching, you know, finishing with a one and five record and a 467 ERA. Not great. Uh, Their top batter for that team was hitting 257. And that was their top batter. So just not a strong team overall. So the stat keeping went well, and we had a lot of momentum early on. Uh, We got through, in the first couple months, we made it through about a quarter of the season. It was the next three months that only saw us get another 10% complete after that. So much to what I expected was going to happen, we did struggle and lost momentum as the deeper we got into the season. 
Now, initially, we struggled to get a few of the owners to even complete a single series. Uh, we had 13 to start, but honestly, when all was said and done, I think we had a lot fewer that actually even completed a series. So you get verbal commitments early on, and then it's a struggle to kind of get people to see things through to the finish line. And that's, like I said, you know, one of the things we were trying to avoid was the idea that you could have like that one week link. And if they, if one of those had owned one of the teams, that team would have not had any progress going and we would have been waiting for lineups and all that other kind of stuff. Right. So that would not have been successful. Um, in the end, we did end up getting uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine different owners or nine different players ended up playing at least one series. And again, because it's similar to how it's gone with a lot of the cooperative projects that I've done, uh, we had one owner who did one series and one owner who did 10 series. So pretty much spread out and most of them completed between like three and five series uh, was about the average over about four or five months. So we still ran into some of the same problems that you typically run into. And, and I think it's a struggle with baseball. It's a struggle probably with any season that you try to play straight through like that. We had a lot of success with the uh, Football America co-op that we did. But when you really think about it, 13 teams, you have to play 12 games. There's a lot fewer games that you have to play compared to baseball. And the batch size is nice and small, too. Anytime you can assign somebody a single game to play versus three games to play, it just becomes a little easier. And it just, you know, it's amazing how often, like, these ideas of agile or lean processes will play out, even in something like this hobby. But if I had been able to keep the batch size down to one, if I had been able to sign everybody just one game to play, I think we would have had more games complete in the long run because folks would have been like, yeah, I can find half an hour or, or 45 minutes to knock out a game. Since it became three game series, now I need like a few hours this week. Like, where am I going to find the time for that? Those are probably thoughts that went through everybody's head. I definitely got some feedback early on, I think, regarding the set itself. Um, you know, the, the whole idea of the Continental League was that it was going to run as kind of a competitive league to Major League Baseball. And it was meant to basically usher in the age of expansion, which it probably did to some degree, uh, because clearly that's when expansion baseball started, right? But because of that, if you really look over the rosters, finding good talent was hard to do. And some of the early complaints that I had about the set itself was, hey, you know, I don't know if there's a lot of pitching here. Uh, it feels like this is going to be a struggle to get through these games. It balanced out. Like, I think the, the uh, run scored and everything worked out about right. Um, I don't have the official totals, but... Well, let's see. Just how many runs did we end up having? In terms of like uh, earned runs, we had about 178 runs scored 
over the course of about 40, no, that was probably not right. Let's see. I'll have to look that up. But um, yeah, here we go. How many games did we end up getting played? We played about 117 games and we had about, um, yeah, I don't know how the run totals. I was going to do it just based on the top pitchers, but that wouldn't be a good accurate read on it. So, um, but yeah, I, I think it's it's fair to say like the pitching was a struggle for this league. Um, the the hitting was decent enough. There wasn't a lot of dynamic players within the league. You didn't have like the big home run boppers in this league. You had some guys who could hit home runs, but there wasn't any like pure sluggers where you would be like, "Wow, this guy has you know HR King and Slugger." Uh, there wasn't a lot of speed on these teams. It was the era that it, they were in. The 60, the early 60s didn't see a lot of speed on the base paths, so it was typical of the era. But I think that that was a drawback for some folks too. Uh, there were definitely named players. There was Hall of Fame players in the set, so that wasn't the drawback. But um, But I think overall there was also a lot of guys who felt like fringe players that were starting games too. And that was probably a little bit of a drawback for some folks too. Um, but that's kind of where we ended up. So, you know, some of the struggles there, some of the successes, what do we have to do differently next time around? And you heard a little bit about this, a little of this discussion in the interview with John McInnes. But I do think that what would make us successful at some of these co-op leagues is not to chase the full season replays. Full season replays just become a little more daunting, and there's just so much work that it feels like a body of work overall feels like a challenge. So if we want to be successful at these co-ops, I think sticking with things like tournaments or sticking with things like even like a World Cup format, those tend to play out a little bit better. And we really have to find the sweet spot for the total number of games that we're going to play as well. Like I said, we got through 117 games. It wasn't like we had a complete failure here and we weren't able to get a lot of work done. But we were shooting for, you know, a lot more. I mean, we were shooting to get through 336 games. That was probably a pretty daunting task. Even if I go back to when we did the um, Football America League, the total number of games that we had to complete for that league was 78. I mean, that's a manageable number. It's not that far off from what we did with the Euro 2020, which I think had about 58 games and the uh, the 1980 Olympics hockey was probably in that same range as well. That's probably more of the sweet spot of where we need to get to somewhere between 50 and 100 games. So if I was doing this 1961 project again, 120 games probably would have been right. Uh, and if I had split that out over, you know, the the eight teams or so. Um, 120 times two, 
divided by eight would have given me about a 30 game season each, which as you can hear is about where we were. We we average about 27 to 30 games per team, right? So that's the number that I probably would have shot for. That's just really hard when you get to baseball, though, because 30 games versus 162 just feels like it's fallen well short of where you'd want to be to get a full season in. But if you treat it differently, right, if you set it up as more like a tournament or if I had, you know, set it up as like a pennant race, that could have changed the dynamic quite a bit. Um, and I think that's part of what we would probably want to do differently the next time around. I also think that, and this is, you know, some of the revelations with things like, uh, you know, what, what was another thing that made the Football America project successful is we used second season express instead of the full game. We went with the express version. Now that I'm playing like highlight maker hoops and talking with others who are, you know, the, and, and some of the projects that are out there that people are completing, you're seeing how many games they're able to complete because they're nice and short and sweet. Uh, fast drive football is probably one that that would be successful. And I know that Play Games is working on an, an express version of History Maker Baseball. And that is probably something that could open the door to getting a full season project done, because you probably do need something like an express version to at least get you most of the way there. And even for this project, if we had been able to play two thirds of the season using Express, we probably could have gotten that done in less time than what it took us to get to the one third mark. And then from there, it would have been interesting to see how that would have played out, because as is inevitable in any league, you're going to have teams that just don't matter anymore as you get to the final stretch. And other teams that you just want to see how that's going to play out. And we could have played some of the pennant race games in more of the full version and had a very small sample of games that had to be played out that way. And other games that involve like some of the lesser teams, we could have just continued to play in the express mode. And that's probably an approach that could work in the future with something like a baseball project. I do think that the stats approach was something that will work going forward as well. And maybe even uh, taking that into other sports as well is try to figure out like, who are those key players that we'd want to like see? And even if I had gone back to like the football America project, like maybe there was teams that we could have said, Hey, let's track, let's play these games in full. Cause we want to see how this, this player plays out. Uh, I'm currently doing that with like the, 1994 NFL season, right? Playing Barry Sanders games in full so I can see what his stat profile looks like at the end. And, you know, with something like football, you're only talking about 16 games, right? So I could have played for a couple of players that I wanted to see their full stat profile. We could have played out those games in full. So these are some things that are worth considering as we, as I think about the future for baseball games. Um, but the other thing is to make it where you can get back to an optional approach. And this is what we discussed more with John McGinnis is this idea of like a barnstorming league, right? Where each series or each game would be completely independent of the others. And 
yes, you could track your stats and everything, but it wouldn't be as important for you to have like a running total. And if somebody said, you know, I'm going to play this week, but I don't want to play next week, that's fine. Like, we don't need you to play every week. You play when you want to play. Play one game, maybe play two games. You know, maybe it's just making the batch size just a little bit smaller. Maybe it's a home and home series that you play with two teams. But whatever it is, like it's it's oh, it comes back to some. It's amazing. It comes back to some of those foundational things. Make your batch size small. Make the total workload manageable, and make the each individual event that you have to play out as manageable as you can. And I think for baseball, some of that falls down to just simplify stat keeping for me. So I don't have to give you this whole download of stats. Uh, and it helps reduce those admin tasks. It ho- helps reduce like what everybody else has to do on, when they finish their games as well. All right. So hopefully we're going to, I'm going to definitely get back on the horse again. want to see that another baseball project go on. And I have a feeling I'll be partnering with like John McKinnis and some others uh, who would be interested in helping to formulate what like the next baseball project will look like. And it's a matter of finding the right set for us to use. The Cooperstown classic set feels like a good one. Cause like John, I struggled to get a project going with that set. And it's something that I would be interested in seeing come across the finish line and finally feel like I had gotten my money's worth in a sense for that set. Uh, even though it's probably the set that I touch more than any other. And it's a lot about just making lineups. And that's going to be part of the fun of that barnstorming approach is to just make lineups with that set. All right. Uh, that's it for today's topic. We are going to be back next week, hoping to have an interview for you next week. So I'll stay tuned. I'm going to keep that under wraps till I get that locked in. But that's the goal for next week. And... Until then, hope you are able to continue playing some games on your tabletop, and thanks again for the support.